hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Show! Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 363 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host. Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you now from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. All right, it's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. All right, got a good show for uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We're going to be focusing on metastatic breast cancer on this show. The uh, metastatic breast cancer experience is often overlooked, misunderstood, and silenced by those who fear it due to the lack of knowledge and education. Joining us from Rethink Breast Cancer, Executive Director MJ Dickeshow, uh, to discuss Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day, which is tomorrow. Uh, and uh, what Rethink Breast Cancer is doing to support the metastatic community and a survivor's spotlight on breast cancer survivor Krista Wittmeyer. This show, proudly sponsored by Aflac, Bristol Myers Squibb, and Seattle Genetics. All right, guys. Hello. Greetings. Full house. Hello. Kenny, Sean, Noel, Mallory. It's Thank like goodness. Have, it's like we have Hi. people on payroll. Uh, something like that. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Yeah? So good. Enduring the playoffs. Well, season. no, Sean's doing really good because we just kicked off and wrapped up the official inaugural epic fundraiser of Stupid Cancer. Toast. Toast. I got to say, so dude, delicious. I, I was never a skeptic, but if there were any, you proved them wrong. And it was extraordinary. Uh, tell us all about it. It was a great time. We had 175 plus people. Lots of strangers, first timers. Yeah, didn't know us, didn't know anybody. It was good. Yeah, it was a good uh, tapping into our our network of friends, family members, coworkers, et cetera, et cetera. 
people just want to come out and support the community. But that's the thing. You prove the model. Like it, 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 we've always been like, if you build it, they will come. Doesn't work. But we're ready for that now. People yeah. really want to know that they can make a difference for us. And you you achieved one of our nearly thought to be impossible tasks, which is the world outside our bubble now knows who we are and wants to get involved. And they donated $31,583. That's, yes. It, so. was, it was really well done. Really well done. We need a bigger boat next year. We had some good speakers there, too. Well, we, we had, uh, well. Um, you. Well, I don't count. <laughs> I, I have to speak. But Brianna Comerford, our 17-year-old teen cancer spokesperson. Yep. Angel Ray, who's been mm-hmm. on the show, uh, performed a live version of Stepping Forward, which he's done on this show as well. And um, Thalen Scott, our incoming board chair, spoke. It was, it was a really, it was very well done. It was great. And um, we, we have to find more space. We, we sold out. I know. Which was really great, we too. We overbooked. It was good, though. Yeah. Nothing like loading up lots of alcohol from my car. <laughs> illegally parked on a curb in the meatpacking industry. And we have some leftover, just a little bit. Not, uh, not for radio. Of course for radio. <laughs> We're stupid cancer. Anyway, we also launched OMG West, which uh, is our an, another inaugural attempt to do something interesting because we don't have enough time on our hands. Uh, Mallory, how is OMG West going? going quite well actually we're filling up pretty quickly which is exciting Mm -hmm. for our first time out there on the west coast so i understand 80 registrations in like the first week yeah we had 80 registrations in less than a week which is kind of exciting and what's our cap right now we're at 100 but we're seeing maybe wow and there could be potential and six weeks to go yeah six weeks to go so hopefully we can squeeze some more people in. i hope so we'll just water down the soup a little bit yeah. But that's exciting. It is very exciting. We're getting people. I emailed um, my friends at Scripps and US, UCSD, uh, USC, UCLA. Um, uh, what's the other one? Um, Cedar sinai uh, A bunch of folks up there. Very excited. They didn't know we were having a, a conference, and now they have something to tell their folks. Yes. Which is good stuff. Um, and, Kenny, you uh, hit the ground running with your Medium post about uh, good old I2Y. I did. Trying to get it out of my head and onto digital paper before it leaves my head. Yeah, for those listening that are not aware, back in 2007, the original name of the organization was I'm Too Young for This. And our, I guess it wasn't a hashtag back then, but our, our sort of logo was I2Y. With the brackets. With the brackets, if you remember I2Y. The shorthand version. Yes, the shorthand. Thank you. And then uh, I found Kenny, and he undid everything I tried to do for all the right <laughs> reasons. And I2Y became uh, Stupid Cancer. And I think in the, in the, we'll be on a porch at 80 years old remembering the day that Facebook let us change our page. Yes, that was the best day ever. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah. And now people are engaging with it. They like it. I, I just, how did you remember the like numbers? Like, did you literally go back to the, I looked at the cover photos. Oh, okay. Uh, But I did go with the archive.org way back machine to find the images. Yeah. It's amazing that you found the, the, the screenshots. Yeah. Pretty impressive. I2Y Cancer Foundation. Facebook fail. We were kids. <laughs> what do we know? What do we know? Oh, well. Anyway, we got a good show coming up, so let's uh, let's start it right now. In our spotlight on this episode, Krista Whitmire is a Honolulu-based DJ. I can guarantee the first Honolulu-based DJ we had on the podcast, diagnosed with stage four, uh, in, I guess that's inductal carcinoma, which with Mets to the lungs in May of this year, 
2015. And just as early as September, her scans revealed uh, all trouble areas resolved. Uh, really exciting to hear this story. Please welcome to the podcast, uh, Krista Whitmire. Hello. Hi there. I, I just have to get this out of the way. A Honolulu-based DJ. I love that you had to quantify that you're in Honolulu, even though DJing itself is pretty cool. It's all cool, yeah. I'm very grateful for this life. <laughs> Have you ever worn a sweater? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Washington State, which is definitely sweater. Oh, okay, okay. I had to make sure. <laughs> so is it obvious as to why you live there now? Um, yes. <laughs> Plain and simple, yes. Do you just sit around eating Leonard's Bakery all day long? Uh, I, well, no, not anymore. But yeah, those mosquitoes are great. <laughs> <laughs> Everything here is great. It's, this is an incredible place. That was Kenny Kane, by the way, my co-founder and yes, co-host. Yes, I, I had the privilege of going down to speak at uh, the Journey Together conference at the Dole Cannery back in June, actually. I was there for oh. a couple of days. Oh, did you? where did you stay? I was in Waikiki Beach. Uh, what's your hotel? You, uh, might, you might be asking. I'm just curious it's, to know uh, your experience. It, it, was the one next, <laughs> it was next to the one, uh, the, the Waikiki Brewing Company. Of course, oh, my okay. priorities are yeah, everything uh, based are on beer. <laughs> Happy accident, but I enjoyed myself. I had some Dukes, and uh, I got the whole the whole tour. It was great. I'm glad you had a chance to come here. It's kind of far from New York. Yeah, yeah. And by the third night, I had been adjusted to the time difference, which is six hours for people who don't know. And then you left. And then I left. <laughs> the first two nights, I was exhausted. Just in time to get readjusted. Exactly. Yep. So uh, tell us your your story here. You were have you always been a DJ? Has that been what you've uh, uh, born and raised to do? Uh, well, yeah, no, I was a musician my whole life, but um, I I came here. I was in the Navy when I got to Hawaii in two thousand two. So I just it was just I loved it here, and I just wanted to figure out how I could make a life here instead of finishing my time in the service. So I separated. And um, I, I was good, you know, I, I was lucky enough to meet a lot of people. It's pretty easy to meet the right people, you know, depending on what industry you're interested in. And for me, it's always been the nightlife and marketing. So, I, I mean, I work as a marketing director as well. Like, I don't, like, pay my bills. <laughs> okay. <DJ>. All right, good. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's that's, my, that's like my gas money, or right now it's like my camper money. But it's, it's more just... Being able to meet the right people and, and show them that you're willing to work hard and it doesn't take too long, you know, to, to find your path if you want to stay here. So I did that. I've lived here now for 15 years. Jeez. So uh, love or hate the movie The Descendants? Oh, I, I really like the the book. I really like that Kawi. She she has a new book out now called Juniors. I, she's so great. She's such a great writer. The, the movie, I had a hard time like identifying with it, but I, you know, I, they got an Oscar, which was awesome. And Alexander Payne is great. It's just for me, it was a little over my head. I didn't really understand. <laughs> got it. Got it. So you were <clears throat> as early as um, uh, this spring, were diagnosed with stage four breast cancer with metastatic to the lungs. Our our entire um, just just as an umbrella, uh, October is we call it pink nausea, but metastatic yeah. breast cancer is kind of our focus because that is the underlying and under discussed issue that October still represents to us. So you you fit well into that because you happen to get it. But how did you get it? Did you discover it 
with a self exam? Did you uh, go to the a routine checkup? Uh, it was probably around April, mid April, that I noticed that my left nipple wasn't, you know, getting erect. Which I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, one of them is normal, and the other one is flat. But I just was. I'm single, you know. I, I've never. I didn't really. I couldn't tell that there was something in there. Like there was no lumps. It wasn't. I guess maybe for another two or three weeks until I realized that just my the entire left breast was large, swollen, and it looked. It looked. It just looked terrible. <laughs> like if one is an orange, then this one would have been a grapefruit. And at that point, I'm. I still was feeling, and I'm just like I don't feel any lumps, but now the whole thing just feels hard. So. I called my doctor and she got me in to see, um, you know, to to get all these scans and this ultrasound and the mammogram. But it, you know, by that time, I think that's you know when your when your nipple pulls in like that, I think that's the advanced stages of your tumor maybe. But either way, I mean, by the time I was able to see an oncologist and she she told me exactly what was going on and what I had, and they they had run all you know the PET scan, the CT scan. Uh, by then, it had already, it was the lymph in my chest, the lymph in my neck, uh, and under my arms, and also in my lung, like all over my lungs. So this happened relatively quickly? Yes, very quickly. That uh, must have been an interesting turn of events. How did you handle it before you knew what was going on? Before, well, I think before I knew what was going on, it I still, actually, even now, honestly, it's, it kind of never really felt real to me, even though, I mean, I know it's my body and I know, you know, there's things that you can feel, but it just seems so weird. Like, I, you know what I mean? I don't have, I'm, I'm one of those people that, that I don't have any family history and we ran the genetic testing. There's no, I don't have any BRCA. There's no reason why, like, that I should have this. I, I eat healthy. I exercise. I was kind of a, like neurotic about eating healthy. Everybody at work would make fun of me because I was just chomping on lettuce and <laughs> eating eating like hard-boiled eggs all the time. Like, I, you know, but so for me, I think how I was dealing with all of that was I was just waiting for somebody to tell me that it wasn't, it was, that it was wrong. Even, you know, the doctor, you know, the oncology, they tell you just the worst prognosis possible. And for me, she said she gives me less than a year and I just, I'm just looking at her, and I'm just thinking, no, this is wrong. You're right. wrong. Sorry, like I, this isn't true. It's so like a conscious I, I think denial. Maybe never, never really believing it. Maybe is what helped me get rid of it so fast because I don't know. I just refuse to believe it. Right, and I, there was um, an interesting report out of the uh, out of Oxford this spring, which said that cancer is a combination of genetics, environment, and plain old bad luck. So, and, uh, you know, we, we could look at cancer as a disease of the elderly, which it largely is. 94% is over the age of 55. Not that 55 is elderly, but 85% is over the age of 70. So you're looking at, you know, they're going to get cancer because it's a biological issue of cell breakdown. But why do we get it at our age, let alone someone who's, like you said, you know, living on lettuce and having your coworkers make fun of you, which is a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. So you were diagnosed. You were. I'm reading here. You were estrogen progesterone positive and HER2 negative. Uh, you are considering an oophorectomy and a bilateral mastectomy right now. Right. 
Now, those are preventative, I assume? Yes, and um, but the, I'm not too convinced yet that I need to do a bilateral mastectomy. I'm thinking that I, I, I don't know yet. You know, I, I, I want to try to think about it a little bit more and really understand what, you know, what's going on here. Because if, if I'm a hormone-positive cancer, I, I, I need to read some more studies to understand if, if you can... If you can resolve that cancer, does it can it come back as like a hormone negative, HER2 positive, or just a different type? Right. And then yeah. once I can understand that, then I'll probably make the decision about the mastectomy. But I just I feel like we don't need to just rush into all these preventative things like without really knowing exactly what's going on. Especially now, things have changed a little. <sighs> Right. No, it's a, it's a hard decision. <laughs> no, we feel your pain. We, we this is our job every single day to hear these stories, and and uh, you know that that's why we have this podcast. Millions of people will hear this story and be nodding their heads largely because they've been there and done that. So I I would presume to say I, we're going to get to your some of your choices uh, in a second, but I would presume that they said you have to start chemotherapy right away. Um, I am still on chemotherapy. Okay. I'm. I'm Right now, I'm on a treatment. This week will be treatment 11, cycle 11 of 12. So I'll be finished with the chemotherapy here in a couple of weeks. What are you on, Herceptin? Uh, I'm on a Braxine. Okay, okay, got it. So, yes, this is scary. You mentioned you're single. Uh, have you met any other... Uh, first of all, how did you find out about us? And I'm glad you did, first and foremost. Oh, it's such a great, this, you guys have such a great organization. Um, I've been looking at everything that you're doing uh, already, but then I, you know, the podcast was something, but just like you're, you have a big event that you do. Uh, and also the, it was, you did something in partnership with the Young Cancer, it was like Young Cancer Coalition. So I was just looking for someone to like understand me my age I, a lot of the support groups online is like women trying to one-up each other which is understandable but at the same time people who have what i have were mostly preparing to die or already died and it was it was so it was too much like i had you know people like oh you should check out this woman and she's so inspirational and i go to her blog and it's like in memory of yeah so, yeah you know and I, I just i didn't i i can't i can't do that I, I needed to be you know i needed to keep everything like positive and i needed to keep my mind focused on getting through this and if, if that meant not talking or not like you know not really trying to focus so much on the fact that i had cancer but just getting rid of it and like focusing on myself um then that's what i did so i you know i do have a friend here who she had a it's a really rare cancer that's in your DNA. So she had to deal with that for a year, and I got a lot of guidance from her. And, I mean, you know, it, I feel like as long as you just have the one person that can come into your life when you're first diagnosed that can help you get on the right path, you, you, that you'll be okay. And, you know, finding finding your podcast, has got I've got so much information now that I wouldn't have had because I was kind of blinding myself to it. There's just too much out there. You know, Krista, one of the things that you said before really hit with me, and this, this, I think this speaks to a very generational thing, where you mentioned you go to the forums or you visit some of the websites, and it's really a pissing contest over who's suffering more. And that doesn't really help anybody. So I look at Young Survival Coalition, who is one of our major sister partners in this fight, and what we do, which is that it's not really a contest, and it's really about 
how can you find meaning and purpose and who can you connect with to make sense of the madness, make you feel like you're not going through it for nothing. And I want to now get into some of your choices. I, I, I've been on record saying that when you realize you have very little control of a situation, just doing that can put you in control of that chaos. And you made a choice to do some behavioral changes during your chemotherapy. Why don't you tell us how you sourced that, what your choices were, and how that has been helping you? Uh, okay. Well, for a lot of a lot of the information that I got was from one person who went through cancer and who beat her cancer, and she just happened to be in Hawaii. She wanted to change after everything, and, and that's really recommended. I think for survivors, once once you read those scans and you're completely cancer free, um, it's good to just change your your scenery for you know take a vacation move get out of whatever you were in when you when you had the cancer so she just happened to be in Hawaii and um you know she when when I told her what what happened she she met me with three sheets of paper handwritten notes front and back and just about everything that I all of her advice was very sound to me and it you know that that for me was like my my jumping off point um the rest kind of fell in my lap. You know, I had a, here in Hawaii, it's a lot more common that you'll see people go to naturopaths and um, like do homeopathic medicine, Eastern medicine, they call it. That's, that's kind of common here, actually. Like a lot, there's a lot of people here who don't choose not to do chemotherapy at all. And I was one of those people. I was actually going to not do chemotherapy at all. I was researching Senevive in Mexico and the Gerson Clinic, all these, natural places but it's actually very good that I didn't do that because I, I needed chemo <laughs> so I would have killed myself if I was trying to just do it natural because of where I'm at you know stage four I don't you can't really you need to do something to to kill those that's like all over your system right no and, and so, that's that's yeah to me that's that's a really intelligent objective decision that you made because clearly Western medicine has a real purpose out there. There's proven science, there's proven data, but at the same time, there's nothing to say that augmenting what you're doing with some of these lifestyle decisions, which you should be doing anyway when you're well, right, is a good right. idea. So talk us through. So you, you, you fortunately had this, uh, this colleague in Hawaii who gave you four pages of handwritten notes, <laughs> and then you do you have a Whole Foods? What do you guys do in Hawaii to get this kind of stuff? Um, yeah, there's quite a few co-ops here, and then, you know, there's a lot of locally grown fruits and vegetables that were easy to get. Um, I have a nutritionist that she she does the juicing for me, so she knows all the farmers, and she would bring me fresh juice every day, which would, like, she has, like, you know, those are high-powered machines, and it would be, like, I'd be drinking celery, broccoli, kale, um, spinach, like, just a lot of nutrients. I was doing that daily, and... Um, I was also my, you know, so my diet was completely changed and I cut out everything processed. I cut out all the sugar, uh, no meat. And I was basically just eating nuts, <laughs> nuts and seeds and, and sometimes eggs. But, uh, I was, because of the naturopath doctor, I was, I was turned on to the high doses of vitamin C therapy, uh, which is that I think is what really helped me get through the chemotherapy. I never had any toxic side effects. I never had like the that metallic taste in my mouth. I didn't I didn't experience too much 
at all. I, I was really just tired. Um, I mean, I'm still going through chemo right now, but, you know, who's to say these last two treatments, maybe it's going to hit me and I'm going to like a ton of bricks, so who knows? But, I, I, you know, they, they turned me on to things that I would have never learned from my medical doctors, and that includes the genetic <gasps> cancer, the test. Right. That's only offered in Greece, and I don't know why, but, yeah, so... They grow, they take your blood and they grow your cancer cells in petri dishes and then they attack it with every known therapy, all chemo drugs um, and a lot of natural therapies too, like, um, you know, turmeric or uh, citrus pectin. And, it, and it, it sends you back a report of what your specific cancer cells were, like what was the kill rate for these different drugs. Because it's just, it's hard. Like nobody wants to be a gu- guinea pig for chemo and or try this, try that. It's like, I want to know what's going to get rid of this right now? And even though it wasn't covered by my insurance, I just had to raise the money to do it because I just wanted to, I needed to get through this as fast as I could. And it was worth it to me because my doctor started me on two, she started me on carboplatin and a vaccine. But when she read the report, she was very comfortable to take me off the carboplatin because it didn't, I I, I didn't show well on that drug, but I was really, a vaccine was like a very high kill rate for me. I think it was like 82%. So, I mean, and that was 10 cycles of chemo that I did when we ran the scans again um, and showing that everything had completely resolved. And, um, we're, I mean, I'm going to finish the chemo. The only reason why we ran the scans was I just, I was I had a break because my port got infected. So oh, we love that. that. Healing. Yeah, that, so they had to take it out and it was just sort of that wound. But So it was, it was a month that I didn't have chemo. And I was like, well, can we at least run the scans or do something? I need to do something. <laughs> No, it's, I, it's you know, you, this is very interesting because, uh, so when was your most recent scan? And you're basically telling us that, are you officially no evidence of disease, but they want to run the chemo rounds and, and it's official course? Yep, that's it. The scans were ran on September 10th. Well, that's, that's amazing. And, and, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> so amazed too. I yeah. Um, we have about a minute or two left. I mean, we, we could be on for like another half hour. Your story is so intriguing. And I want to learn about, well, I don't DJ, but I'd love to know, has DJ changed for you? But let me ask you, were you eating like a regular, normal, quote, American diet before all of this? And now you're getting used to eating what you said, you know, seeds and <laughs> berries. I was, I would say that I was a little bit more healthy than a, than a regular American diet. I was a little bit more conscious about what I was eating. Uh, but it was by no means perfect. You know, I, I would, I would eat gravy and rice here and there, but I was, I always was kind of a health nut. I didn't eat all organic. Uh, but right. now I, I, I do. So that's a little bit different. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, I want to keep, do you keep a blog or are you online anywhere? Yeah. How can we learn about what you're yeah. up to? Follow your journey. You can follow. Yeah. Everything is just super CW, the word super and then CW. So supercw.com, and then if you want to look for the music, it's on SoundCloud at supercw. I have a lot of mixes on that. Well, that's awesome. Again, I, I wish we could keep you on longer. Your story is fascinating, and let's have you back. Um, you know, once we hear what's going on, we'll play one of your mixes on the air. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'll be listening for sure. I think it's great what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. All right, Krista Whitmire, uh, stage four breast cancer survivor out of Honolulu. Thank you for joining us on the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you. Bye. All right, Kenny, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. 
Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for Meetup Alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash Meetup. All right, friends, we've got some events happening in Nottingham, Maryland, Denver, Colorado, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Salon, Iowa, and San Diego, California. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create an account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now. Instapeer.org. We launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out War Reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe to it at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. Check out cancermademebroke.com. That's cancermademebroke.com, our national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick and your community wants to help. Visit cancermademebroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. We've got tons of stuff starting at $5. That's $5. All right, stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. In our main segment here, MJ Dakota is the founder and executive director of Rethink Breast Cancer, an organization devoted to empowering young people concerned about and affected by breast cancer through education, support, and advocacy. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Michelle M.J. Dakota. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Where did I recently see you? Because we got you on the show pretty quickly. Didn't I see you in? I saw you at an event recently or something. Yes. Okay. So we had our booby ball. Our big fundraiser was last Friday, the first of four of them. We do them in four different Ah, cities in Canada. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. We are taking a different track this uh, October from Pick Nausea to focus on. I think personally, what really matters most is not that everyone knows breast cancer happens, but really, no one knows breast cancer can become metastatic, and there's no real cures, and there's no more research, and I go back to a personal connection when my former uh, co-host here on the show, Andy Goodman, died from triple negative uh, BRCA positive metastatic breast cancer. So this is personal, and I commend you guys for tackling this very important issue. Thank you. It's affecting way too many young women with breast cancer. So what got you into this crazy nonprofit business we call a career? I like to say English majors end up everywhere. <laughs> okay, <laughs> approved. Um, I'm one of those people that uh, had breast cancer come into my life when I was fairly young. My grandmother was first diagnosed in the mid-80s. I was a teenager, and she had, you know, very pretty straightforward. She actually didn't tell anyone about her lump until it was really big, but ended up having one of those slow-growing um, treatable breast cancers. She had a mastectomy and radiation and did really well. And just a couple of years later, our mom was diagnosed, and she had a completely different 
scenario. Her breast cancer was caught as early as it possibly, possibly could be and just caught by fluke. And um, it ended up just not behaving the way my, my grandmother's tumor did. It was super aggressive and it just kept coming back, coming back. And she metastasized to her liver. And um, from there, it just went downhill really quickly. And she passed away and she was 53 and I was 22 at university and feeling like a ticking time bomb in a way and wanted information and also wanted to support the cause and feel like I could do something, be a part of it, show my support. But at that time, I know we're not going to talk about pink nausea, but I really didn't relate to it at that age. And it was just the start of that movement. So I didn't want to put on a big pink ribbon sweatshirt and angel pins and comfort hearts and cover myself in pink teddy bears. Um, right. I wanted to, I was my, you know, I was at seeing bands and at university and, you know, just wanted to find new ways to support the cause. So are you the, um, you are the founder. So I guess we belong to a very niche market of nonprofit founders. And um, what, what's that like for you to be a founder of a nonprofit? And uh, how, how many years you guys started in what year? We started in 2001, so it's been 14 years. Wow, that's that's really cool. And uh, wh- was it called Rethink from the day you started it? From the day we started it, it was it was really a, a very grassroots movement. I had started to do some volunteer fundraising in the cause, just throwing events and um, you know donating funds to other organizations, and really came up with this concept of there's got to be a way to get young people involved. And um, we, we, you know, we thought about, do we put the word young women right in our name? But from the early days, it was really about thinking differently about breast cancer, you know, taking those dated scary pamphlets with ugly pictures of breast exams and ugly shower cards. And how can we, you know, replace that with information that's going to be more relevant and resonate with the younger audience. And same with the fundraising opportunities. I wasn't, you know, couldn't afford a sit-down gala dinner for $300. I wasn't interested in golf tournaments. The fashion shows for the cause were targeting, you know, 55-plus. And how could we create events and engage younger people in feeling like this cause is important to them, they can help, they can raise funds, but in a way that's more relevant to their lifestyle. So that's really how we started, is more of a fundraising movement and letting young people know that they could help and be a part of this and that they should be breast health aware but then young survivors saw what we were doing, and that's really how it evolved into, you know, more of a patient, patient, patient organization and patient movement. No, and that—that's—I mean, we always have to be nimble in charity and pivot where we need to. When was the uh, initial thought to move in the metastatic direction uh, made? Well, it happened. I mean, from almost. Uh, year one, we had young women with breast cancer reaching out to us. And, you know, we were a very small organization, I'm sure, similar to you, like really small in terms of staff and um, running a lean, lean organization. But we had young survivors coming to us and telling us their stories and hearing those unique needs and realizing, okay, we thought there were hospital programs and the big charities doing support that could help patients, but then you just hear, no, we're falling through the cracks. And so we were trying to figure out how we could support and and help young women and create resources that that would help them through their breast cancer. Um, And unfortunately, very early when you form those relationships, you start to form friends with people that metastasize and die. And so that that happened, I'd say, within year two of, of being Rethink Breast Cancer. So tell us about the programs that have evolved over the last 15 years. What are some of the bigger successes? 
You know what? We really have done some interesting, innovative things, um, and just the, more recently, the way we we've all, we've always been about education, support, and advocacy. And I think the biggest change is we used to do a lot of frontline support work, um, you know, face-to-face support work, um, phone phone support. But we are realizing, you know, about a year and a half ago. The world has just changed so much. You know, when I started, there wasn't Google, there wasn't FaceTime, there wasn't everyone walking around with their phones in their hands at all times. Um, so we're just always about being relevant and, and resonating with young people, and young people are online and they're on their phones. So a lot, we'll always have a face-to-face component of what we do, but a lot of our programs have evolved into that virtual space and digital space, and a lot of our resources, you know, we've just gotten into the content game, if you will, and we're creating amazing videos um, for young people who are dealing with breast cancer, uh, including young women with metastatic breast cancer, and we've you know, got them on our YouTube channel, which we call BoobTube, and it's getting so much great response, and the reach is so far, like far and wide, and people from all over the world are watching them and, and contacting us. That it's exciting, so I'm really proud that we continue to be nimble. We saw the world changing and we saw, you know, we saw that we had to, we had to change too. No. And, and, and uh, I, I'm reading your press release here, which I'll announce on the air October 13th. Um, even though it's Toronto, I can forgive you for that is metastatic breast cancer <laughs> awareness <Okay>. day. <laughs> exactly. Um, is this the first metastatic breast cancer awareness day? No, that's metastatic breast cancer awareness day has been around for a while. Um, I, don't know the exact date when it started, but it's um, it's something that I mean we want every day to be Metastatic Awareness Day. We want of people course. to know that you know this disease is not just solved with um, you know pink ribbon and running for a cure. It's that there's people that you know will never they they will die of their breast cancer and they need support and they need right. resources. And so um, we've done quite a few interesting things. Everything from we made a, an interesting documentary called I Am Anna. Uh, which is telling the story of a young woman, um, she's a young architect, and the film is all about just how she's coming to terms with her metastatic diagnosis and this feeling of wanting to leave a legacy and create a movement for the metastatic community. Um, but to now these videos that are our Liz Laughlin and videos and really almost in themselves still little stories. They're only a minute and a half, and the, the, they have very specific topics, everyone from how to tell your loved ones about your metastatic diagnosis to accessing clinical trials. But it's really also about just raising the profile of women that have metastatic disease and, and making them feel like they have a voice that's being heard. Uh, they're part of the breast cancer community. And at the same time, we feel the videos are helping do that, but then there's that practical resource side. So we, we really love that when a resource can be multi-purpose and do many things. Right. It was a kind of a throwaway before the content bandwagon, but you guys do content really, really well. I mean, the, 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 the film aside, I, I retweet and repost and share nearly all the stuff that you guys put out there because it's just so professionally well done. My question is, what is the specific needle you're trying to move? Is, is that metastatic gets more attention than regular breast cancer or that what what are the things that you're trying to measure i guess i guess how would you define success with what you're now learning you can have impact on well we've just started um a three-year metastatic breast cancer project so really year one is just about trying to create the conversation make room for the conversation because i think you know working in this industry you can get a bit skewed and think everybody knows 
about well, as much about breast cancer as I do, but if you stop someone on the street, I feel a lot of people would think, yeah, it's, it's, it's an epidemic, it's affecting so many people, but, you know, we're, we're really close to a cure, we have a cure, and, and they think it's kind of taken care of. Right. Um, part of that's because a lot of breast cancer is treatable, but there is that group that are living with metastatic breast cancer. And so we're just trying to, this year, have the conversation, create a community, help young women with metastatic disease feel like they're represented, that they're, they are part of the movement. And then from there, year two is really about trying to do more analysis and you know, if we can get funding, um, do more official surveys. We did a national needs assessment of young women with breast cancer a few years ago. And that was really helpful in just kind of getting a handle on, you know, what is the state of the union for women with, with young women with breast cancer? And, you know, we want to do some of that similar type of research and just really try to identify gaps in care. I mean, that's what we do. We know that, you know, young women with metastatic have typically have a lot of fear of what comes next. Will I have access to treatment? What kind of supports are available? They're worried about their families. Um, finances are huge. But we really want to, you know, figure out, okay, what, what is the recurrent theme and what is the piece, what's the gap in care that Rethink can approach? And so part of your tool will be identifying that and then really hammering out what can be our, our plan to help and to move that needle. Right. And I want to call attention to your project, The Metastatic Diaries, Again, it goes back to this kind of takes the whole content thing up a notch to storytelling, real world storytelling. What, what has what have you found to be the most consistent message that young women with metastatic cancer are sharing across the board? I would say, oh gosh, it's really hard. Um, we did, when we screened I Am Anna for the first time in Toronto, um, we held a forum and we brought together young women with metastatic breast cancer, their caregivers, their partners, families. We brought our funders to the, into the room, um, just a, a whole bunch of different communities, and we had a great conversation. And one thing that just really resonated with me was they, they kept using the frame condensed living. So they are living their lives and they just have this feeling of they came up with the word condensed living and that just really resonated with me and, you know, legacies and and a concern, but at the same time, in the meantime, they want access to treatment and Rethink does a lot of um, advocacy work in terms of in Canada we have a provincial healthcare system. So when a new treatment is approved, it then has to be funded in you know, a whole bunch of different provinces. And so it's, it's a lot of work just to get, you know, I don't believe there will be a cure for breast cancer. I think we're talking about 200 different therapies for 200 different forms of breast cancer. And all of right. those have to be um, approved and advocated for. And it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of busy behind the scenes work that I think the public isn't very aware of. Um, again, we all want our simple fundraising messages. Right. Uh, you know. You, no, I mean, in, in you mentioned, you know, again, you are in Canada. That does change the conversation a little bit with us here in the state circus, where I would presume a lot more messed up than you guys are. But at the same time, the issues that you are, uh, have identified, isolation and fear and managing your life, and I love, the, I love the term condensed living because it really does imply that you're living inside a, uh, like, like the ceiling keeps getting a little lower every single day and you don't know how to live. And what you're doing really makes that difference. Is legislating and lobbying in Canada more difficult or just plain different than here in the States? Um, I'm not exactly sure how it works, um, in, in the U S you're probably better off for that. 
part of me. You're probably better off for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think Canada's. Uh, I think every healthcare system is a bit of a mess. Um, you know, it, it, again, we have to go province by province, um, trying to get approvals for treatments and and get the funding. And I think our healthcare system, like the same as yours, really strapped for cash. So it's uh, it's not as easy as as people think. You know, just to find a cure. <laughs> a lot more complex than that Um, but in the meantime you know while scientists are working on those treatments I you know as you said it's it's also about supporting and creating community and connecting people so that they don't feel so alone and you know what has bothered us is that young women with metastatic breast cancer we've, we've had some success creating community for young people with breast cancer but then to hear that young women with metastatic breast cancer aren't feeling part of that community well we just felt like that's not okay. We have to we have to do more and encourage other people to do more. We had our um, our spotlight on earlier, and she was diagnosed with stage four metastatic. She's a, a DJ in Hawaii in Honolulu. That was intentionally in her bio. She wanted everyone to know that she's a Honolulu DJ. But I love it. Yeah, she's in her twenties and metastatic breast cancer, and she's on um, Braxton right now, and she's trying to holistically, you know, detoxify herself. She was just pronounced Ned is going to finish her um, rounds of chemo considering a double ovarectomy and a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy, which tends to be how we carve ourselves up. And at such a young age, your whole life is beyond incomprehensibly different. How have you seen that manifest in your community in terms of finding peer support and resources? It's definitely hard. There's so many challenges with trying to support the metastatic community and create a community and and empower them to have a community because of the death rates. And so um, the women that want to be a part of it and, and, you know, sometimes there'll be someone who, yeah, is is in a really good phase and their disease is stable and they want to give back and they want to advocate. And then suddenly their health can take a turn for the worst, just as you're sort of ramping up the campaign. Okay, we're going to do this and you're going to help advocate um, their health can take a real turn for the worse and then it's hard for them to just be well enough to do the kind of work that they want to do um, and we've you know we've had so many young women that we love and that we love working with unfortunately not make it and so it's it's really hard to create a community where you want to be positive for those that as they say are living with breast cancer um, they don't want to just be thought of as dying of their breast cancer. They, they currently are living with their breast cancer and trying to have the best quality of life that they can. Um, so at the one hand, you want to support the women in the metastatic community that are at that stage and then also be respectful to those that are angry and have gotten really bad news and, and they are living condensed living because they, they really are running out of time. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy to have a cohesive uh, community. No, and I agree. We see that every day as well. Uh, I want to point out that you are the uh, across 363 broadcasts. I've never had anyone use the word chutzpah in their bio, and <laughs> you use the word chutzpah, and I can say that as a chutzpah, like popcorn <laughs> in your throat. Um, have you always been disruptive in nature? Did you work in marketing before you you started the charity? No, I was I did I I was an academic, so I was an English major, and it's interesting because I did my master's thesis. Um, typical, you go into grad school and you spend your first day first couple weeks in your seminars going what is everyone talking about the hegemonic construct of post-colonial discourse and I'm sort of feeling like I I don't know what they're talking about but then within a couple weeks you're using that lingo so I was always very much got into analyzing I'm an overthinker which I just read an article in the New York Times that 
that could mean I'm a creative genius, but it can also be challenging because you're just thinking and thinking and debating and what should we do and what. But at the same time, I'm I have been known for just going for things and getting excited, and I think I'm an optimist, and that's led to um, you know just just like I said, just jumping in as an English major, deciding to start a nonprofit. Um, I don't know many people. I guess you did it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I lost a big bet. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I don't know. And, and when I did my master's thesis, my subject was, um, I did an analysis. Well, it was a meta-analysis. It was um, called the post-colonial, oh no, sorry, the post-structural pop star, um, something about academic constructions of Madonna. And so I was very kind of meta and harsh and almost like, very strong on paper and what I wrote. And then I went in to do my defense and I did well. And, and it was this groundbreaking thesis. They had, they had no revisions. I think they didn't know how to handle it. Uh, but they said I was much sort of softer and nicer in person than I was on paper. And I think that's just part of the contra- contradiction that is me is I'm positive. I'm, I'm upbeat. I'm an optimist. I'm friendly. Yet I have that academic side and I tend to um, get frustrated with certain things that are going on in our field and that just drives me to try to solve problems and do the best we can. So let me ask you a question. You're in this industry 15 years now. I posted something on our Facebook wall the other day and I got the opposite result of what I thought, which is interesting. I am kind of fed up with uh, the militarization of the fighting cancer, the war on cancer. Everyone's, you know, but I wasn't expecting our community to, to respond like we love this. We need this. It's what gets us through this. But I'm of the position of in the Mets community, and I go back to Annie Goodman. Um, it does does dying mean you didn't fight hard enough? And do you mm. do you hear that message a lot in your in your unit in your community? Yeah, it's it's really it's the exact same thing. And it kind of speaks to what I said about the challenges of trying to create a commu- cohesive community um, for young women with breast cancer, including metastatic, then there's diversity within the metastatic community, uh, just in terms of stage of disease. So it's, it's really tough. I'll always remember um, my mom's best friend's husband died of pancreatic cancer. And my dad um, remembered seeing someone, my dad's doctor and someone at the hospital said, oh, poor old John Stack didn't put up much of a fight. And my dad was like, well, how is he supposed to put up a fight? They opened him up and he was like riddled with cancer. Like he was basically diagnosed with very advanced cancer. And so that's always stuck with me. I, I've never liked that language and like that word. And I, we try not to use it. But the same thing happened to me. I was with a young woman who just has a phenomenal story. She's actually the reason that we've always started. She was diagnosed with a, like stage four breast cancer when she was 23. Um, she's just defied all expectations, gone on, to, she's dealt with recurrences, um, mets to the brain, like just everything, yet she's now been living, I guess, 14 years, um, gone on to have three kids with one ovary, like she literally is that crazy miracle patient or miracle person that is doing well, and we um, we were shooting a video to promote Booby Ball, and she was doing some key messages, like she was delivering her part of it, and just we said, put it in your words, and she kept using that word, fight. Right. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> so what are you to say? It, it's probably what's getting her through. Right, and, and, and you know, it really comes down to whatever works for that person. So I'm always curious to post these crazy things on our wall to see how 300,000 people respond to certain things. But it's, wow. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool to do that. We have about a minute, uh, three minutes left. Let me ask you more about some of the other stuff that I'm seeing on your website. 
is you do have a section on breast health and risk reduction and awareness uh, in the yeah. in the general population. How are you tackling that? And I guess the overarching question is, how do you get millennials to feel vulnerable? Well, when it comes to breast cancer, I mean, one of the things we're trying to do is just engage young women in being risk savvy and understanding their risk and being breast aware. I feel like the breast aware piece is quite straightforward. Just know your body. If you notice a change, go talk to your doctor. Where we struggle or where I think our whole movement struggles with young women is on the one hand, they're overestimating their risk. I think because of all the media coverage and often the media stories do that get more highlighted are with a young person just because it's just a more compelling story. And so we, we find young women are walking around overestimating their risk. Um, so that's not good either. Like we don't, we, we worry that, okay, we want them to understand the facts about breast cancer, but how do you do that in a compelling way that grabs their attention? And it, it, it's the same with the fundraising dilemma where I just, I think because of my academic background, I'm not comfortable with really oversimplified messages. Um, and then it's the same with the breast health, but we know attention spans are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So uh, how do you break through? And it's something we continue to work on. Um, Risk is not easy to understand, and uh, it, it's complex. So, right, I'm not doing a great job answering because we're still trying to crack that nut of like what can be really compelling, and how can we have our risk uh, reduction content or our, um, breast health content for our gen pop be shareable and be interesting and innovative, but not always, um, you know, the truth is very com complicated. <clears throat> for instance, if you want to reduce your risk of breast cancer through exercise, well, you have to exercise vigorously for, you know, 45 minutes a day for five days a week. It's got to be for the rest of your life till you're 90. Like, you know, is that a great message that's right. going to compel people? <laughs> Well, I, I really do commend you. This is, you know, I'm on record saying that we do tragedy and miracle every single day. And it really is, you know, for what it's worth, it's the Lord's work. Take that as, as a grain of salt. But it, it's a tough life. And I commend you for choosing to get in this. I do want to wrap on a happy note because I, I was a musical theater minor. And I was reading in your bio that you kind of have a love affair with uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Lauren Lowe, Condon and Green. And uh, what is your favorite musical of the 40s? My favorite musical from oh, the 40s, it yeah. would be Meet Me in St. Louis. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like, I like old school musicals. I don't really like the new ones. Well, I mean, I would say of, of the recent, of the last decade, I would go with, I would go with Mormon, Producers, and Lion King for me. Kind of define, the, and Mallory is also a musical theater monk. Mallory here on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so t it's so challenging. No, no, pick the last um, fifteen years. Last fifteen years, definitely produces in Book of Mormon, but you can't compare them to the forties. No, well, no, you can't. You can't compare them to the forties or the fifties um, for sure. Um, oh, last, I I'm gonna be really cliche and go rent. Yeah, you know, rent was kind of a game changer. I, I, I can't help it. Yeah, I, I'm also a huge fan. I'm a Jason Robert Brown fan. Okay, um, who who gives some flashbacks to right. more classical stuff, um, and songs for a new world is is my love. Oh my god! Yes, Kirsten Chenoweth sang that. It was good. The whole the, yeah yeah exactly yeah. I just right. let you guys know, since you like musicals, our little promo video to promote our film festival Breast Fest in 2010, we made a little mini musical. 
Oh. I like that. All right. Yeah. We'll check it out. All right. RethinkBreastCancer.com. You guys are on uh, pretty much every social media platform imaginable. On Twitter, you're at RethinkTweet. Instagram is at RethinkBreastCancer. And Facebook is RethinkBreastCancer. Your hashtag, YWMBC, Young with Metastatic Breast Cancer. Thank you so much, MJ Dakota, and I'll talk to you soon. You did so well on my name. Thank you so much for having me okay, on. Okay, bye-bye. to continuing our conversations. Good luck with everything. Take care. Thank you, Duke. Bye. Bye. Ah, uh, we should do, like, the stupid musical show. I'd be a big fan of that. <laughs> Bring it on. I would have to say, <laughs> if, if, of, of the ones you did find for me, I, I would say that uh, Carousel, because it's, like, the darkest musical they'd ever done it's the or south pacific which is like really racist but yeah needed it, to be there were some dark times in the 40s and yeah. the, the musicals yeah but so, some good stuff to yeah. say the least definitely good stuff all right on that note it is now time for our closing sequence prepare to activate uh, i hear there's rumors on the uh internets you ever seen a grown man naked and so to all of you a fond farewell Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 363rd episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. Like to thank our guests, Krista Whitmire and MJ Dakota from RethinkBreastCancer.com. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at StupidCancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck and on behalf of my whole team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking your stick at stupid cancer thank you for listening and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of the stupid cancer show goodbye folks